Hello everyone, welcome back to Parallel Process. This is Antoinette. And this is Lindsay. We are so glad that you're with us um, in whatever time of day or whatever you're doing. I hope this episode brings some comfort to you. We're in episode 29. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 29 episodes. We've been pretty <laughs> faithful. Um, we love, you know, spending time in this way and, you know, yeah, it's, it's nice. Yeah. Well, how was your Halloween, Antoinette? It was it was good. It was chill. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Um, I dressed up as Michonne um, from Walking Dead. Do you know who she is? I don't. I I haven't seen Walking Dead, so I don't. <laughs> uh, she's the lady with the the locks or the, the dress, and she has like the headband, and her sword, and all that. Oh. So. Do you feel powerful? I, I, you know, I walk in power, and I just felt even more so. Like oh. you know, I didn't see any zombies that night, but. <laughs> But it was pretty cool. Like, you know, growing up, I wasn't really allowed to celebrate Halloween. So oh. I didn't get dressed up. I didn't really do anything until, like, kind of adulthood. Uh-huh. Like, my sisters and I, we would do, like, scary movie night and, like, order pizza. And, like, we're all into horror stuff. So we were able to do that. But going out for the devil's holiday oh. in my household was was not allowed. So, so yeah, it was actually an outfit that I, I believed in. You know, I was like, I really feel like I look like the character. Like, my shoes, my, I had some old boots in my closet. Just like she wore, these boots are like were, like, over almost 10 years old, and they fell apart. It just added to, like, the character, yeah. you know what I mean? More dimension to it. <laughs> More dimension. Um, I didn't have, like, a brown vest, like, what she wore, and I was, like, kind of kicking myself. I was like, dang. Then I had an old jacket that I grew out of, like... <laughs> And it was brown, and I just cut off the sleeves, and they came yes. out looking like a vest. I had a white tank top. I was like, my hair is already twisted. I had my headband. I was ready, you know? That's I'm, like, all excited. That's no. costume that I love is, like, that's truly, like, homemade. Yeah. That you cut up some old clothes, like, you put it together that way, but, like, it really came together. I love mm-hmm. that. And I did karaoke with one of my homies, and we just, you know, shine bright, you know? We shine bright during the karaoke, so mm. it was fun. I stayed anyway, yeah. <laughs> home and just gave out candy to the little neighborhood kids. Um, and my back porch is such a vibe right now. Like, I have, like, my Halloween lights and um, little candles and stuff. It's very, like, comfy and velvety and yummy. Um, yeah, so I just enjoyed that. Your back porch is nice. Thanks. It really is. Yeah, mm. yeah your home's nice. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you had, like, a nice, fun t- time with, like, the children and stuff. A lot of kids came by, or? Uh, not a lot. Um, if, I feel like it used to be more. Maybe, like, pre-pandemic, there was more kids that would come by. Like, I, I might have, like, be able to give out, like, a, I don't know, at least half a bowl of candy. And now it was, like, maybe, like, three sets. Oh, okay. And that was it. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But now, this means that, like, the next wave of, like, the holidays are upon us. Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and then Christmas and New Year's. And uh, I know yeah. all of that's going to go by really fast. Yeah, it tends to go by pretty fast. And it's also a very dreadful time for many people, too, this time of year. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can't wait till the holidays are over for various reasons, mm-hmm. you know? True. Yeah. So, today's topic is about complex PTSD. Um, So, uh, a lot of people have, um, like, some sense of what PTSD is. Like, whether that those ideas are right or wrong, they at least have heard some things about PTSD, 
seen it referenced in movies and TV shows, maybe known somebody in their life that's been diagnosed with PTSD or suspected to have had it. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, another form of uh, trauma disorder called complex PTSD and like what that is. But first starting with, I think we wanted to just talk about, we really want to kind of set the stage and kind of move up and up and up to the layer of complex PTSD and make sure that we've set the foundation for understanding what that is. So uh, how would you describe what trauma is, Antoinette? Hmm. You know, I think it's a careful definition, you know, I can get pretty broad, but if we Google search it, like what is trauma? It says trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event, like an accident, assault, I'll use that, natural disaster, you know, anything that we have an emotional response to that's really left a mark on us, I would say emotionally, mm -hmm. that's really, um, really caused a disruption in our functioning or our wellness in some way. That's had a, um, an impact on us, right? Negative impact. And I would say what's traumatic for one person may not be traumatic for the other person. Mm -hmm. But we could also say that, hey, in that room of whatever happened, it was traumatic. You know, maybe the symptoms of how I experienced that may be different from another person, mm -hmm. right? So, but yeah. Yeah. So it's usually... Um... You know, like in therapy, like when you're diagnosing somebody or taking a history, we typically think of it as something that is either life-threatening that you um, experienced, that you saw, that you learned about, that was about like somebody close to you, um, or something just extremely hor horrific that mm -hmm. like really overwhelmed your, your stress response. Mm -hmm. It's a careful thing too because... Something can be really, really horrific or something can seem very minor but painful. Like if we have an injury to the body, if um, I broke my leg, that would be traumatic and painful. Mm -hmm. But a splinter in our finger <laughs> can be really painful too. Those two things impact us, right? Like those, and, and those things, two things can be very painful, you know? Yeah, so some, um, have you heard people kind of conceptualize that as like, big T trauma and little T trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So things that are maybe had a major impact on our life, but don't necessarily meet that criteria of, uh, truly like life threatening or that really pervasive, horrific event, but that we're still, still majorly impacted us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause some people would rule and say, well, you know, emotional abuse and verbal abuse. Well, you know, that, I mean, really, just get over it. Six and stones, break your bones. Mm. Or in, and really, those things can be traumatic or neglect. Absolutely. And those are things you know? that, you know, I would say, well, I, I know that are big T traumas. Um, because that sense of, you know, it's uh, different when somebody is like an independent adult and experiencing those things. Not to say those things are not traumatic. They certainly can be. But for a child... When you depend on that person, that person is your caregiver, that is life-threatening. You know, mm -hmm. if mom or dad or whoever is my primary caregiver neglects me, um, doesn't take care of my basic needs, is not consistently attentive to something, if I have like a um, medical issue, doesn't take me to the doctor, mm -hmm. that is absolutely traumatic. And same with emotional abuse. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if today's going to be a good day or bad day. I don't know how to read my mom or dad. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to, to please them or meet their standards. That, that kid is constantly internalizing Feeling that. on edge, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is physical neglect, emotional neglect, 
you know, there's the, those are the kind of things too that we're we're looking at. Is yes, my parent may gave me food, water, and shelter, but emotionally they're not present. They're not there. Mm-hmm. And does that develop and and kind of add to the the different traumas that people experience maybe early in childhood or or later? Yeah. You know, and then some things can cause more traumas. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Well, that kind of leads us to the um, the ACEs study, which was a major major influence in like how we start conceptualizing and um, measuring things that like people already kind of had uh, some ideas about, but this actually gave us data. So um, ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. <clears throat> and, um, and so what it did is take a huge data set and measured um, children from early on to later in life and said, how many um, adverse childhood experiences did this individual have um, so things like uh, neglect, emotional abuse, uh, maybe a major medical issue, things like that, um, and assault. And then how did this impact this person later on in life in their uh, health outcomes? And so what they found is like the more um, adverse childhood experiences you have early on in life, the more you're likely to have even more later in life. It will escalate. And that escalation will cause all kinds of really, really extensive um, uh, troubling health outcomes. You'd be more likely to um, smoke, for example, more likely to experience obesity, more likely to use drugs and alcohol. Um, And so it's a a very, very strong predictor of um, these really terrible health outcomes. And so that did a lot to, like, help people conceptualize, like, this the escalating nature of complex trauma and like also I think bring other people into into the conversation like people that maybe didn't see themselves in the mental health field but um you know um health providers researchers and you know uh teachers because they were kind of all involved in what this looks like mm-hmm very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people can, you know, take that particular test to see kind of where they are. Would they do that with a mental health provider? Or could they go online and, and access that? I think they could probably go online and, like, just Google ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And, um, you know, I always encourage people, people just in my, in my personal life, but I also encourage any and all of my clients to really empower themselves with knowledge. Like, mm-hmm. don't just take what I say, but, like, now, like, take what you're most interested in and start researching that, you know, on your own and start really informing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I definitely encourage people to say, like, hey, I think there's something in that for me, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, because I, I know that this, I experienced this. I wonder if it's connected to these these bigger things that I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a connection for many of us, for real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we're using the term complex trauma. And so one may be like, well, complex, like, well, trauma and com- what's the difference? Mm-hmm. You know? And so how would you explain, like, what complex trauma is? Yeah. So as a, as a concept, complex trauma is um, the presence of traumatic experiences that usually start in developmental years, but they don't have to. It could be later on in life, but usually it is early on in life. Um, And usually in an interpersonal nature, um, but I'll give an example of of how that looks like like an exception, I guess. 
<clears throat> that seems to escalate over time. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, so somebody that, um, this is like a case study I used like in a recent presentation. Um, so if you have somebody that um, maybe early on in life experienced like a major medical trauma because their parents were undocumented and they didn't feel comfortable taking their kid to the ER because they didn't know what would happen, right? Um, and so that kid like suffers and suffers and suffers until it's like, until it like, it, it becomes an absolutely like life-threatening emergency. <clears throat> and then that, um, that child's, uh, father is involved like in a really, uh, violent, uh, conflict and dies. And then that kid starts to have behavioral problems in school and is told that like, you're a problem kid, um, they no longer have their father. They feel like their mom doesn't really have their back. Um, so they get uh, taken out of school and put like in a um, like juvenile justice program. They're picked up from the juvenile justice program and recruited into the army. <clears throat> and then they get deployed and experience a traumatic event during their deployment. So you can see how somebody coming to treatment from that scenario it's not just about the traumatic event that happened during deployment, right? That might not, that might even feel very irrelevant to that person, but mm -hmm. they're showing all the signs of PTSD. It's like, so how, how do you help, how do you support somebody in that? And you really have to look at the full picture, that escalating trauma history mm -hmm. and how there are parts of it that are very, uh, feel very interpersonal and how they've impacted that person over time. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was the early trauma the mm -hmm. latter trauma, right, and all that stuff coming together and being like it wasn't just one thing. Whoever is his therapist would be looking, hopefully, at all the course of all that. Right. So, mm -hmm. so I'll give you an example of a situation that um, is not uh, doesn't involve that interpersonal nature. Um, so for a while, I worked with uh, refugees, and so there was um, a young man that had been. Um, that grew up in Afghanistan and there was a lot of conflict with the Taliban in his area. And so he had a great relationship with his siblings, with his parents, with his uh, school system. But when like the Taliban like insurgency would kind of come into his area, the, he was under constant threat. And eventually he was shot as a child and he survived that, right? And then the, um, then the Taliban actually completely took over and he and his family fled the country. And so fleeing the country, leaving everything you've ever known, mm -hmm. um, everything is completely uncertain, you don't speak the language, um, trying to start completely over is incredibly stressful. So it's this prolonged stressful period, this sense of you know, fleeing for your life and all of that on the foundation of actually being, being shot you know, by the mm -hmm. people you're fleeing from. So that's not interpersonal in the sense of like the people close to me um, hurt me or abandoned me, but mm -hmm. it is this chronic prolonged period of traumatic events. It's not mm -hmm. just one thing. It's all of those things. Yeah. My brain being on alert, my nervous system, <clears throat> not knowing if I'm going to live, if I'm going to die, um, you know, what's next, mm -hmm. you know, and not just for one moment, but for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, I would like to refer to a curriculum that I really love. It's called Seeking <laughs> Safety. <laughs> um, and it says here, there's two types of PTSD. Now, this was, was printed so long ago, right? 2002. But I believe that this is 
still pretty accurate mm-hmm. as far as the definitions here. It says there are two types of PTSD. I don't like the term simple, but this is what what it says, mm-hmm. right? I would rather say single. Yeah. <laughs> single yeah. episode. Single episode. Yes. Right. Um, and this is a single. <clears throat> uh, so it says simple PTSD or simple could be one car accident, one tornado. I'm going to add to this. One assault. Something that was very painful. It happened maybe one time, mm-hmm. but that has impacted my life, mm-hmm. right? Um and usually as an adult, but this can happen in childhood too, but it says here complex PTSD is the repeated incidents such as domestic violence or ongoing child abuse. And of course, there's a, a spectrum of different forms of child abuse mm-hmm. and it has a broader range of symptoms. Um, so those who are survivors of complex trauma, right, um, ongoing traumas, um, these particular symptoms could be self-harm, suicidal thoughts dissociation, which that's an interesting area to talk about, um, known as losing time, right? Um, problems with relationships, memory. Mm-hmm. It says here sexuality, health, anger, shame, guilt, numbness, loss of faith and trust, feeling damaged, and you know a lot of other things. So some of us, we are really survivors and we know that we're survivors of trauma or we may have put some things together from earlier chapters or even present chapters and we're realizing like gosh you know i'm starting to see these things like problems in relationships memory anger shame guilt and how do i resolve these things you know Mm -hmm. so what have you noticed in clients that you've worked with um starting to approach these ideas and think huh is this part of my life is this part of what's been going on with me have i experienced something traumatic like either recognizing or not recognizing that in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different examples of people coming into this understanding, um, right? And for many of us, we come from generational traumas. Mm -hmm. You know, my great-grandma, this abuse was going on in the family. My my grandfather, my mama and him, my auntie and him, and now I'm in this situation. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like when many people are coming into an understanding, they may feel like, well, is my trauma valid? Mm, I you hear know, that a lot. Um, well, my, my parent or my family member or whoever's around me said they've been, been through worse or they tell me to get over it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is life. It happens. Like, I went through it. You went through it. Okay, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think for um, for many people acknowledging, like, this was real. Like, this trauma is real. And my, and my anger or hurt or acknowledgement is valid. You know? I think that's, so, that's a very important... Uh, piece in all this because you know imagine if you're if you're that person that's like this is the thing that weighs on me and has been troubling me and I feel like it's negatively shaped my life mm-hmm. but then you have whether it's like self-talk or it's coming from the people around you or messages you're getting around you that says yeah but this is part of life like you might put that together as like oh yes these things happen but the problem is me the problem is how I'm handling it mm-hmm. versus the problem is you know, that this happened. Right. And sometimes we have a sibling or somebody that we grew up with that say their life went in a different path and they had healing in some other way. And they're like, well, so-and-so was in the same household. Mm-hmm. Comparing. and They they were able to do this and that. Well, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Another form of like invalidation. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's there. And so there's a lot of education or just like what you experience is real and it's valid or in denial throughout childhood. Mm-hmm. too and this is kind of almost 
trigger warning kind of this conversation too of, you know, hey, this is happening to me and a parent saying that's not happening. Mm-hmm. That, and so then we just hold it in and say, well, maybe, maybe what happened to me wasn't important. Yeah. You know, and it was always important. Yeah. It was always important. And that caregiver should have, you know, or should have cared really. Mm-hmm. Or maybe didn't have the insight to, you know, no excuse though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think um, denial of trauma or get over it happens a lot. Um, I remember in a therapy group some time ago, there was a gentleman who was like, well, I never, never really went through trauma. Mm-hmm. But it was evident that there had been some things. So then I just explored with him a little bit more along with the group. And he was like, well, everybody in the neighborhood was getting shot. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the neighborhood was like, so it's not really trauma if everybody was going through it. Mm-hmm. And so then there was a stepping back and kind of acknowledgement that even there's community trauma. Mm-hmm. There's ethnic trauma. There can be a whole society of traumatic things going on. And that still is very impactful. And a lot of that that he ended up describing was complex trauma. Mm-hmm. Right? And um. And I think understanding this brings freedom to people to understand, like, wait a minute, I am having a normal reaction to abnormal events if I'm experiencing the symptoms of this. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not crazy. Like, I'm not bad for this impacting me. Or giving people the language of, I can heal, right? But I need to acknowledge that this stuff was real or be able to speak out on it. So in our um, in my first, like, post-master's program, job the job like where you and I met and became co-workers and friends um I had this experience of um all the clients I was working with um just learning a lot from them and then as a group making some observations so one of the observations was and I worked all with um men experiencing homelessness was you know half of at least half of my client group have uh shared that they have experienced childhood sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And for me, I found that, like, uh, just really jarring. Mm -hmm. And um, I would dare to even say a higher percentage. Right. Those are the ones that shared it. Yes. Yeah, those are the ones that actually told me. Um, And it just made me think, like, wow, is childhood sexual abuse that prevalent? And I think there's probably two things in that. One, it's more prevalent than somebody, like, me would realize if I didn't experience it and the other is that working with an especially vulnerable group that has is known to like have, is more likely to have experienced multiple traumatic events it goes back to like the ACEs study right mm-hmm. like if these are your health outcomes these are your kind of quality of life outcomes you're just much more likely to have experienced you know mm-hmm. a higher prevalence of sexual abuse mm-hmm. uh, early on in age um, and you know, this is really important to, to highlight that that particular form of trauma is so prevalent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, um, you know, we think little girls are the only ones and it's not in my career and all the assessments and all the meetings I've done and you've done mm-hmm. for me, I've seen about equal. Mm-hmm. I, I just cannot say it's more one more than the other. Yeah. It's been pretty down, <laughs> down across the board, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and yeah, um, people experiencing homelessness, I would say, yeah, that's, that's complex right there. Complex traumas, mm-hmm. you know, that people experience even, be- um, even before they, homelessness happens and during mm-hmm. too. So, but yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So that's that's complex trauma as like a, a concept. This a, a idea of it's usually um, relational, usually developmental, but not always. But it is like a uh, chronic or like escalating experience of trauma over time. Mm-hmm. So it's like how let's look at like how we actually um, review that as like a, as a diagnosis, understand that as a diagnosis. Uh, so I read something really. Uh, interesting recently that um, in the last round of the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, um, mm-hmm. which is what we generally use to yes. diagnose people for mental health conditions. Right. And that DSM, for those who are like, what is the DSM? You know, it really is, um, it has all the diagnoses that we have known to man, right? Mm-hmm. That we understand at this time in our development as humans, right? Um, and so that's put together so that people are able to, or psychiatrists or mental health workers able to look through that and be able to say, hey, this is how you're being diagnosed, are diagnosed. Um, these are the particular symptoms. And this is the criteria pretty much mm-hmm. for, um, you know. So, and it, it evolves over time as we have more research mm-hmm. and our understanding of these, of different mental health conditions, advances. So we're on the fifth edition right now. I think they're preparing for like the next edition. Um, so in this this last go around, when they were evaluating what changes, what updates do we need to make to the DSM five, um, the committee actually agreed and voted to include complex PTSD as a diagnosis, but for some reason it just didn't make it into the final version. So it is not currently a diagnosis in the DSM five, but it is in um, the World Health Organization's uh, what's called the ICD eleven or international classification of diseases version 11 so that's like a version that's used more uh broadly internationally um you know and is um probably i think used more like with like maybe more like general like medical diagnoses i guess um but but it's used in the u.s too they're kind of used alongside each other so but it did make it into the icd-11 so um Let's talk about the actual criteria. How does somebody meet criteria for this as a diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Um, and something I think about, like, first and foremost is somebody can have a complex trauma history. It doesn't necessarily that they mean that they have the diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, like, when I'm working with a patient and, like, I pick up on that, it's like, well, just slow down, Lindsay. <laughs> like, it, just because there's a presence of complex trauma history, it doesn't mean somebody has CPTSD as a diagnosis. I think that is a very important point, that everyone who goes through trauma is not going to experience the PTSD diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean one person's stronger, weaker, better, this or that. There's just so many components internally in that. We can't even really determine something like that, right? But mm-hmm. we do know, yes, like you're saying, or like we're acknowledging that people can definitely go through similar things in a household or community or individually and not necessarily developed mm-hmm. um, that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, CPTSD as a diagnosis includes um, all the, di- the all the criteria of uh PTSD, or what we would think of as like a, a single acute episode of PTSD, which are the presence of something of a traumatic event, which we would understand as something um, life-threatening or extremely uh, horrific, uh, which can be um, experienced firsthand, but could also be experienced like something that you saw, something that happened to somebody really close to you. 
um, and the presence of uh, intrusive symptoms. So things like memories, flashbacks, intrusive thoughts, nightmares. Mm-hmm. Even when I don't want it to come in my mind, it comes into my mind. Yeah. I can't shake it. I, I can't, can't stop thinking about right. it. And it's after 30 days, right? It's not, I mean, right. present. Like say after, I had a friend who, he hit a deer on the road, right? Mm-hmm. And it was only like a week after. So he's like, Does, do I have PTSD? Do I have the, and I'm mm-hmm. like, well, give it about 30 days or so. If you're still like feeling this or feeling that, then you may want to explore that more, mm-hmm. right? So. The next um, uh, group of symptoms is arousal symptoms. So feeling like really keyed up. Um, not being able to sleep, uh, feeling like really like uh, irritable or having trouble like managing your anger. And uh, the next group is avoidance symptoms. So you're actively trying to avoid things that uh, are triggers that remind you of uh, the traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those symptoms and then the complex PTSD symptoms, there's uh, three additional criteria somebody has to meet. The first is um, emotional dysregulation. So a lot of trouble managing their emotions. They're kind of all over the place. Uh, when they get angry, they get really angry. Mm-hmm. Um, when something like makes them really sad, they really pull away strongly. Um, relational impairment, it's very hard for that person to feel close to other people or to allow people close to them. Um, so. You might think of that as somebody that is often alone. They have a few friends or a few people that they allow that close to them. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's relationships can be really tough. And the last thing is this negative self-concept or this idea that um, I'm just doomed. I must be cursed. God must hate me. I'll never succeed. Um, That type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I can see somebody being or experiencing this particular diagnosis, which is a name for a cluster of symptoms for duration. It's not a, um, this is not someone's first name. This is an experience, right? Um, that family members or whoever's around them can misunderstand that. Mm-hmm. And just say, oh, you know, he's moody. Or even throw out terms that they don't really fully understand. Oh, you're being bipolar right now. Yeah. Or, you know, get over it. Like, mm-hmm. Or, you know, oh, you know, or are are not really understanding kind of all these things. Yeah. So just anecdotally, like from my own experience, I do see um, people with this presentation get diagnosed with things like or come to believe in in some form or fashion that they have borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. or bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. because they do have like that major like... um, uh, trouble like managing their affect, controlling like reining in their emotions. I would say one of the major differences, especially between complex PTSD and borderline, right, is that like uh, somebody experiencing borderline traits, that person doesn't want to be alone. They're trying to frantically try to avoid any abandonment. And somebody with complex PTSD is more likely to be like, you know, mm-hmm. hold people at arm's length, don't get close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's like a major giveaway of that differential diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. And I think with bipolar disorder, it's it's kind of multiple things. Like, you know, like how do you, um, I don't know, how, how do you tell the difference between like trouble regulating affect and like a manic episode, for example? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's differences. There are definitely differences in all that. And I would say anyone who's experiencing these particular symptoms or, you know, to really go to a professional and get an assessment, mm-hmm. right? Versus family members or someone diagnosing someone mm-hmm. and not really knowing or understanding that or really um, getting with the therapist too, who can help explore and help make the connections um, in regarding to this. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, just right there, complex um, um, trauma, right? The complex PTSD, borderline personality, and bipolar are all very different. Mm-hmm. But a person can experience those things all t- together, right? Mm-hmm. We could say, like, or different. Ways that people um, often are struggling before they access treatment or access, like, some form of um, kind of psychoeducation or whatever way that they want to work on healing their their trauma history. Um, uh, there are a few different things that people um, often do to try to just kind of like self-manage. Um, one of those being, you know, some people will use things like um, that kind of fill up their senses, like things like sex, um, uh, high adrenaline experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, knew somebody like colleague of mine that came back from a deployment and the first thing he did was got a motorcycle, um, for like these and would like ride like really aggressively, Mm -hmm. um, like high risk behaviors, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, uh, intense, uh, spending, um, things like that. Um, and then also like one of the most common, uh, substance use. Mm-hmm. trying to like uh kind of self-medicate and manage those symptoms internally of like um I constantly feel keyed up so I'm going to drink to kind of uh level some of that out or bring me down mm-hmm. and there's a there is a wide range of like kind of substance use it can range from marijuana right to alcohol opioids like th- things like that prescription medication misusage um, you know, in groups when we, we've, we've talked about this concept, people are like, well, I don't use substances, but I use food, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I like that you said, like, filling our senses, right? Like sex and stuff, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with, with sex, but, you know, if I'm kind of trying to numb or trying to distract, but in a way that's high risk or something like that could... So, yeah. Yeah. I've also seen people use, um, like, stimulants like meth. Mm-hmm. Um, as a way of like, I, I don't feel comfortable going to sleep. And so meth keeps me up. It like gets me to focus on other things. Um, and then before you know it, like that person has been up for days and days, they have like a hardcore meth addiction. Mm-hmm. Now like experience like, um, amphetamine induced psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's unfortunately very, very common mm-hmm. with PTSD. I would say other areas too, like self-harm, like areas of Mm self-harm could be part of that too. So yeah, there's just really just a a wide range of things that a person may um, do or use to self-medicate, right? To get through those symptoms and all that. So yeah. Well, so from that, like what does somebody do to start healing? Whether that is healing with... um, a mental health provider, um, doing their, their own form of healing, where that's spiritual, relational. Mm-hmm. What do you think? So something that, you know, really acknowledged during groups or just kind of just different therapy is safety, mm-hmm. right? Um, as I'm healing internally, emotionally, cognitively, all that, 
it, are my people, places, and things safe, right? Does it represent safety? Or am I recognizing too, like what coping can I use to help with safety, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so that's kind of the, the one of the first things that a person would have to do. Um, are my relationships safe? Um, gaining control over my feelings, day-to-day -day problems, coping with day-to-day -day problems, protecting myself from destructive people or situations, right? Not harming myself or others, increasing my functioning and all that. And so those are kind of a list of examples of as I'm moving towards healing in this particular area, is my environment safe? Mm -hmm. um, and all that, along with my own... And, and really in therapy, a person would explore these things, mm -hmm. right? So say I've been through complex trauma, uh, or I've experienced complex trauma, but I'm in a present relationship that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Though I'm seeing my psychiatrist and my therapist, if I'm coming home being verbally, emotionally abused, things like that, then I would have to look like, is this really helping um, in my healing process, you know? And so um, I think maximizing safety is really important in that first step. Um, you know, a lot of times a person tries to suppress things too, and that goes into the self-medication or, you know what, if I just distract in this way, then, you know, I'll be fine. But I think there's a period too where it's kind of the second step of allowing myself to mourn, mm. you know, allowing myself to say out loud and acknowledge I am hurt by this. Mm -hmm. I am experiencing anger regarding this and giving ourselves permission to go into those particular particular layers. Um, so it says here, once you're more safe, you may need to grieve about um, what happened in the past and what the trauma or substance abuse did, you know, um, to cry deeply to get over the losses, um, loss of innocence, loss of trust, loss of time, the things that, what really impacted me, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so when, as a therapist, have you, um, of course, you've been with clients who are probably in this stage of mourning. How would you describe that? Or what is, you know, there's um, so many different examples. I think it's, it's a process like um, really of integrating those experiences, Right. Especially if somebody has been, um, like you said, like avoiding them for a really long time and then is now learning about them, facing them and saying, oh, it's important for me to, to face and process these things. Like warning is a process of, um, you know, looking at, like you said, like what what was lost? You know, how mm -hmm. was I harmed in this and not constantly pushing away or. Um, and validating your own experience by saying, you know, I just won't think about that. Or, mm -hmm. you know, my, you know, my neighbor, the neighbor kid had it even worse than I did. So I feel like I can't, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really like ex totally accepting and integrating, you know, that experience for yourself so that you can say, okay, and on the other side of this, what do, what do I want from my life? You know, mm -hmm. what are, what are the next parts of my healing, knowing that these are the things that. I lost or the ways I was harmed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, growing up in my household, it was whatever happens in this house stays in this house. Mm. And so sometimes we grow up through the chapters of our life, but whatever happened in that house needs to stay there. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think in therapy, which could be a safe space for someone, I think it's saying those things out loud. Yeah. And no matter how young we were, and how irrelevant we think that one particular thing was. Well, I mean, does it really impact me? Well, you know, it was just this. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like you're saying, the kid next door went through something worse. I mean, I, I mean, I have this now, so why am I complaining? Mm-hmm. Well, am I not grateful enough? Am I not spiritual enough? Am I not, you know, but I think in this stage of mourning, it's okay to lay those things on the table in a safe way and explore those things and how it does impact us um, in the present for sure. Yeah, I, I think there's so much power, like in, <clears throat> like you said, like like saying those things out loud, really looking at them, because internally, I think there's a lot of people that dismiss their experience because it's complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Like if things were only bad and they were only this shade of bad, it's easier to say that was bad and that was wrong, but it's hard when there are other elements, right? Mm-hmm. So I've uh, had multiple clients tell me about um, childhood sexual abuse and say, but I felt like I couldn't or shouldn't say anything because my stepdad was really good to my mom. Mm -hmm. And so, or I felt like, you know, he was uh, uh, a good provider. So there's, I felt like I, you know, what am I going to do? Take that away? Um, I've heard many, many clients say some version of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and then <clears throat> if that's like your truth internally. It's like that becomes your default to um, negate your own feelings, negate like your your experience over and over. But when you say it out loud, you're like, you can actually get it outside of yourself and look at it. Mm-hmm. Shame, guilt, all that stuff starts to fester too. In that particular example that you're using, mm-hmm. right? And and it being internalized and then causing it, you know. A lot of internal things um, and problems. Yeah, because types of abuse could be emotional, verbal, psychological. There's social abuse, things like that. Um, financial abuse, things like things that we may have to say out loud, physical. I mean, there's just so many different cultural and spiritual abuse, you know. Um, I was mentioning a little bit before the our podcast a little bit about um, there's a concept called post-traumatic slave syndrome that talks about a group of people, right? And then we can go into a lot of ethnic groups, right? But Dr. Joy DeGruy being a black American lady talking about the traumas of the community throughout time and what happens with that. So a lot of times when we're looking at trauma, we're talking about individual, right? Complex trauma. But we can look at groups that have been traumatized and in the, the impact of that. And so it, it really starts to spread out, I think, this idea or understanding how trauma impacts people, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many different kinds. There's medical abuse. Um, there's digital. I mean, there's so many things to consider. So I'm the reason why I'm listing these things is, say we were survivors of these kind of forms of abuse. The part of that mourning part, I think, is allowing ourselves to acknowledge that, hey, even... Um, this stuff was real and it did impact me, you know? So. What are ways like outside of therapy that you've seen people um, work to, to like embrace healing, to introduce healing into their lives from mm-hmm. these different things? So I've seen people, especially in, in my community, I could say like the black community, for instance, or just in general, come together and like talk and support each other and encourage mm-hmm. each other in that. And I've seen people also use spirituality mm-hmm. to assist with that. Um, and I think it's important to that I can look at the trauma I've survived and, you know, not deny it, right? 
but use my spirituality to help me in that or to gain support with loved ones or people around me, mm-hmm. right? To talk those things out. Yeah. Right. I think therapy is such a, is such a powerful like foundation. Like I really like what you said about giving people the language, mm-hmm. and the education, helping them put those pieces together, introduce like these, um, like these phases of recovery, that safety, that healing, um, that mourning. But then, like, I, I really think the most powerful healing happens when that's, like, your kind of jumping off point and that you find, like, these ways that are so unique to you that you process your healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, like, if you love art and you have put art away for years and years, mm-hmm. that you, like, pick that back up and you use that, your art as a way to, to process, like, um, the things that you lost, the harm that was done, the hope for the future. Um, if you uh, love like exercise and sports, that like you channel that mm-hmm. into that and that sense of like um, teamwork and support and working towards a goal and, and building your confidence and um, so or your spirituality, whatever that is for you. Exercise, <clears throat> absolutely, mentorship, all that <clears throat> stuff. Yeah, very very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that therapy is really like, um, is like that kind of like uh, safe environment to start putting those thoughts together. And then like for you, like kind of turning inward and saying, okay, like what are one or two ways that like I can take this to like the next level, you know, in a way that like, um, you know, nobody else could, you know, that is uniquely Antoinette or uniquely Lindsay. Mm-hmm. And there's particular support groups <clears throat> for people who have been through particular types of traumas mm-hmm. as well. And so I don't have to be alone. I can go and, and be around others who have survived situations and be able to get support, um, validation, ways of coping, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. that that can be there too, for sure. Groups are so powerful. I think in in so many ways, but I think especially in trauma-related issues because so much of that person's life might have been about feeling like they were um, like they were kind of other or damaged. or And then when you see a, <clears throat> excuse me, a group of people come together and really be like, you know, I experienced this too, and I see you, and just know that you were doing the best that you could. Um, well, one thing about this is that the PTSD understanding has been very recent, right? Mm-hmm. Like 1980. You know, I mean, there was other terms before, but really going into the psychiatric disorders was 1980. I was born in mid-80s. And I'm sure this has been around much, much longer. Mm -hmm. So. So I will say that this topic, like other topics, are scratching the surface, right? These, um, we're, we're, we're diving into some areas or concepts when it comes to complex PTSD. Um, and you know, there is a certain level of um, resilience. I, I like the term survivor versus victim, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's something that I adopt in my own life in the language I like to use. And that, um, you know, there, there's this loose statement that says, oh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think there's some value in that, but we got to be careful kind of like how that's, mm-hmm. you know, said or the intent behind that being said. Um, but um, I will say that, the clients that I've been blessed to serve have a level of resilience or insight about the world or a level of empathy that I think is, is um, 
so important to to take into account or to note. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I will say in my own life, like I've I shared with you, kind of the traumas that I've been through, and it's helped me to have a my own unique resilience. I would say, mm-hmm. um, as I continue to work on my own healing, um, and it's a daily thing. Right. And I have my own triggers and all that, that um, there is a unique resilience and and strength um, coming out of what I've come out of, I could say. Mm-hmm. And so it's a careful statement because um, but I just want to put that out there. Yeah, I think that that's that's it. Right. Like you said, like it's a, a delicate balance. I'm not just saying, oh, it just makes you more resilient. It's good for you. You know, it's like, well, that's not true. But like. But that sense of like the beauty of somebody who is a survivor that really stands in their story, that is committed to healing, committed mm-hmm. to like helping other people get out of hell too. Like that's that's the beauty of it is transforming suffering and pain into something that is about community, is about, um, you know, womanhood or whatever that is for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the beauty of that resiliency. Yeah. And that's not about negating somebody's experience that's about really embracing that experience Mm -hmm. you know i want to use a quick example um and this is more of a church example but when i used to go to church um i met a lady who um was a survivor of sexual exploitation and all that um and she said that because of her experience and her healing and all that she's able to go to those same areas those same street corners and be able to in those same spaces and be able to not only do ministry, but to bring awareness. Mm. Now, maybe somebody else could do the same thing and that would be super valuable, but she has a special um, sense and understanding of that experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it left a mark on me. um, And that was like probably 10 or 10 years ago when I met her. And I thought that was so powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's like, I'm, and she framed it as doing God's work, you know, but I would see that as social work, you know, Yeah. that she was able to say, I'm going back into those spaces. You know, I, I think that's important that people who have been through traumas, you, you really do have a unique space. Um, once we go through the healing process to be able to have an eye or understanding of um, and in giving back in some type of way. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's very important. So mm-hmm. our listeners can't tell, but you're you're kind of tearing up as you uh, say that. What, yeah. What's what's coming up for you? Well, I mean, I think it's important that um, you know, like um, for me, I saw so much power in what she was doing, mm-hmm. and so much awareness, and um, you know, I, the service too mm-hmm. of like. I'm going to go back and help make a change. And, and like, you know, this song, that song that this little light of mine, mm-hmm. I'm her light saying like, this is a particular light mm-hmm. in this dark world. And I want to help bring awareness. I want to shine, not shine like her, you know, she's shining in my heart, but you know, mm-hmm. but to bring light into that dark space. So that's a brave thing. It is. So there's a movie that I saw some years ago and, um, um, I'm looking up on my Google right now, and it says it's back in 2012, and it was about um, a young Korean girl who was abducted and forced into um, kind of trafficking or trafficking. And true story, she survived it, um, 
And it, you've watched the movie, I'll go into kind of the details of that. But now she goes around the country, or there was a time where she was going around the country. I don't know if she still does. The actual person who survived that, and she educates about trafficking. She educates others about, um, especially here in the U.S., where we think it's such a foreign thing, but it's very domestic. It's very, like, especially where we live, I-10, mm-hmm. all these inner um, interstates are just right through the city mm-hmm. and, you know, throughout the country and all that. And so... Um, in groups, I'll use her that movie or this particular individual as an example of like, you know, and I can I would consider that kind of reconnection, which is the third step of healing, mm-hmm. um, that I'm not only um, healed from my trauma, I'll always remember it, but it doesn't have power over me anymore. Mm-hmm. But I can also give back. I can also volunteer and give back to those who have similar traumas. Mm-hmm. I think that's very powerful. Um, but yeah, again, the movie is called Eden. Mm-hmm. So wonderful. But yeah, well, how are you feeling, Lindsay? Feeling good. That was, I mean, overall. But I think that was a heavy topic, and um, you know, just like we were talking about earlier, you somebody can have uh, a complex trauma history without having a um, CPTSD diagnosis, and everybody's had stuff that has happened in their history and just talking about this is probably I can feel kind of like my nervous system kind of (laughs) twitch a little bit and um you know access memories and things are that are uncomfortable to me Um, so I imagine that that's true for maybe listeners as well Mm -hmm. yeah this is probably hasn't been the easiest episode to listen to but I hope that it brings some freedom and you know the continued healing that many of us are doing throughout our lives and all that and um continued awareness um, and all that. So um, we're really grateful that um, that you listened um, with us today or, or to us today. And um, I hope that you're doing good too after this episode yeah. and all that. So well, let's end, end on a note of how we plan to intentionally be nurturing to ourselves over this weekend. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you plan on doing? Well, you know, at the time of this recording, we are going or we are within the weekend. So I'm going to go to a neighboring city and celebrate a birthday and um, just be in a different space, you know, get some different food, different senses around me and all that. Um, And, you know, just continue just to um, to just really take care of myself, listen to my needs and all that, too. Mm -hmm. So um, and do all that. Yeah. And then you. I'm going to an arts event tonight that I'm very excited about. Um, I bought my ticket for it um, a couple of months ago. And yeah, other than that, I'm going to spend time at home with my little puppy and just kind of relax, maybe do some meditation. That's kind of the plan for this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yes. We all thank you again for listening to us. You are strong, you are resilient, you are beautiful, <laughs> you are amazing. Um, you are powerful. You are powerful, you are an overcomer, you're resilient. So many things. So, yeah, so many. We're just scratching the surface of how amazing you are. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, have a wonderful day, night, evening, morning. <laughs>